You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Chris Fedor. Hayden is off this week. But we still have a lot to talk about when it comes to the Cavs and the NBA offseason in general. For the Cavs, it's a big offseason. We've talked about that. We know that. They know that. It all starts with the NBA draft. The draft is on June 23rd, so it's less than a month away. And the Cavs are spending a lot of time trying to figure out who is the best fit for them with the 14th overall pick. They also have multiple second-round picks. They've got to determine if they're going to use all three of their draft picks in this year's draft. This past week, members of the Cavs' front office, they've been scattered across the Los Angeles area, taking in a lot of these agency pro days, getting an up-close look at a lot of these prospects that could be available to them at 14 or maybe at 39, their first second round pick, or even 56, their second second round pick. And joining us to talk about all of the different draft scenarios that the Cavs are going to be facing this year from Bleacher Report, it is Jonathan Wasserman. From Bleacher Report, their NBA draft insider, Jonathan Wasserman. Good morning, man. How are you? Good. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, man. Um, so just generally speaking, what's the view of this draft overall? How deep is it, the star power, and what kind of player do you think the Cavs can get at number 14 overall? I think teams are a little bit underwhelmed kind of by this draft or just not as excited maybe as they typically are. And at least, you know, last year's class set the bar pretty high. But there are obviously plenty of good prospects in this in this class. And you know, I always hesitate to say how deep a draft is because you never know, like, when the 27th pick is going to be Rudy Gobert. You know, you just you just can't predict some of that stuff. But, um, of course, there's always going to be surprises. And there, of course, is this big three that we've been talking about for a while with Paolo and Chet and Jabari Smith. And even Jaden Ivey has kind of put himself in that first tier from some teams. But, you know, the 14th pick, there's always somebody who kind of slips, right? There's always some surprise guy who's who's available in that range. Um, and so the Cavs are certainly going to have plenty of intriguing options to choose from. Can you say with any confidence that there's going to be a star there? Of course not. But uh, there are certainly guys who have upside if they really, you know, hit their trajectory. So it's an interesting situation that the Cavs are in, Jonathan, because coming into the home stretch of the regular season, I didn't expect the Cavs to actually have a first round pick. You know, it seemed like it was going to go to the Indiana Pacers for a long, long time. And then the Cavs had the second half of the season collapse. It was a lottery-protected first-round pick. So they're hanging on to it. And I'm kind of playing catch-up when it comes to getting to know a lot of these pro prospects here. Um, 
I know you've been watching these guys for a long, long time. Who do you feel like would be a good fit for the Cavs at 14? Well, I mean, I almost have to ask you first, like, what do they need most? And, you know, yeah. you watch the Cavs more than I do. And, you know, you look at their their depth chart. Um, I mean, they're pretty deep, uh, particularly at the wing position. But I also don't know if Levert is, is really a long-term option there. Right. Um, I assume the idea is to re-sign Colin Sexton. But if you just look at, you know, immediate needs on the depth chart, I guess a backup center would be helpful. Although I guess Kevin Love and Mobley could also both, uh, you know, play some five. And, and the point guard position, obviously Garland is a stud. And then you need another ball handler. Um, you know, when you look at backup point guard options at number 14, I think for a team like Cleveland, it might be better to go out and get a veteran, you know, uh, on a cheaper deal yep. rather than, you know, have a rookie point guard. Um but there'll be some options there. You know, Kennedy Chandler, Ty Ty Washington will both probably be in that conversation. I think Ty Ty Washington would go first. And then if you're looking for a backup center, uh, Mark Williams and, and Jalen Duran are, are also going to be right in that mix. Probably Mark Williams more likely to be there than Duran, who's still 18, will turn 19 till November. And and Mark Williams is, um, you know, I guess between Jared Allen and Mark Williams, you have a lot of rim protection in for 48 minutes. And Williams just measured a 9-9 standing reach, which is you know, ridiculous. And um, he really could just play to his strengths as a catch-and-finish guy, a, a shot blocker, and and just a, an easy basket guy who kind of hangs around the basket and makes the game a little bit tougher for the opponent to to get to the hoop. So those guys stand out, at least in, in terms of, you know, depth chart needs. Yeah, it's interesting, too, Jonathan, because the Cavs have a mantra going into this offseason. It's all about getting more playmaking. Uh, they need somebody to take some of the ball handling pressure off of Darius Garland, somebody who can create shots other than him, because towards the end of the season, and there are a variety of reasons for this, but towards the end of the season, so much of the offensive burden fell on the shoulders of Darius. So it's all about playmakers and two-way wings for the Cavs this offseason. You know, they have invested in Isaac Okoro, the fifth pick of the 2020 draft. They do have Jetty Osman still on the roster. They used a first-round pick on Dylan Windler. But but they recognize that if they're going to take the next step as an organization, they've got to find a legitimate two-way wing that that can give them a little bit more offense at this stage of of their career than what they're getting from Isaac mm -hmm. Okoro. So how about wings right there in that 14 range? Who are we looking at there? So I really like Malachi Branham, and, and Branham is from Ohio State. Honestly, from what I'm hearing, he he may not be there at 14. And uh, I've heard his range is 8 to 14 um, from people in Chicago at the Combine last week. Um, he's probably more of a guard than, than a wing, just based on who he could defend um, at 6'5", although he did have a 6'10 wingspan, so that – that was pretty encouraging to see. And to me, he's a guy who, who can definitely have some creation upside and not a great athlete, but he was really good in the mid range and he can get a shot pretty easily um, just by timing his ability to rise and fire. And then again, really good three level scores, very good off the ball as well, uh, which would be a good fit with Garland and, and a good three point shooter. Didn't shoot on a ton of volume, but he made those catch and shoot threes. He was lethal in the mid range and, and, and also, if they're looking for another pick and roll player, he's very good in ball screens, ranked in the 94th percentile um, in ball screen situations with great patience, just knowing when to attack and when to pass. So he, in my mind, he's he's a guy who, who would make sense as a best player available and a need. Um, the other guys probably won't be available like Johnny Davis and Benedict Matherin. Matherin would, would seem like a good fit there, although not as creative as you might like if that's what they're looking for 
Um, but Brandon offers that creativity. O'Shea Baji, another guy who's not very creative, with more of a three and D guy, but somebody they could probably use right away for rookie minutes. And I think you start to run out of names in the wing category of guys who can kind of help you out right away, particularly with creation. I mean, Wendell Moore is more mm-hmm. projected to go in the late first round. He's also young for his age. I actually think he's going to be a good value pick if he does go in the 20s. And he really blossomed this year as a facilitator. His ball handling looks totally different than it did when he was a freshman at Duke. Um, he was their leading assist guy this year, which was pretty surprising wow. based on what you saw. So he could be used in a number of different ways. Also a 40% three-point shooter and one of the best cutters in this draft. So he's a very versatile, interchangeable player and, and an easy fit guy. He just might be a little bit of a reach at 14. Maybe a look to trade down. So you mentioned Branham and, and how his stock is is rising at this point. And I don't know if that's the right term, right, at, the, at this <laughs> point. But but it seems like a lot of people like him. We'll, yeah. we'll put it that way. So what is it about him that, that makes you think that there's potential for him to go top 10? Yeah, I mean, if you just – he checks pretty much every box from numbers to physical tools to intangibles and character and maturity, and he, he played this whole – freshman year at 18 years old and yeah. I mean I don't know how you measure efficiency in terms of everybody but I, it's t- I don't think there was a, a more efficient guard who's who's generating you know lottery attention than Branham in terms of two-point efficiency three-point uh, a, a good passer um, you know there's questions about his defense and I guess his ability to create separation but uh, I, I think the athletic questions are a little bit overblown um, and again he, he's in, in every area finishing mid-range, three, secondary playmaking. Um, it's tough to find a real worrisome hole in, in his scouting report. And so I think maybe he doesn't have that superstar potential, but I think you're nitpicking you know, a little bit in, in the 8 to 14 range um, if you're going to really worry about he's not an elite-level athlete. Um, but, uh, yeah, to me, he's just a very safe pick and an easy fit in today's league. The Abaji question is interesting to me. Um because he's older, he's further along in the developmental curve. But but I remember he put his name in the draft um, last year, Jonathan, mm-hmm. and he went through the whole process. And the sense that I got is that people were underwhelmed by him. And then he goes back to Kansas, and he has a great year, and he's the most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament. So what kind of, of prospect are we looking at with him? And, and does he have the kind of ceiling that a team may want inside the lottery? Um, it really depends on the team. And so I think okay. if you're a rebuilding team, you have no interest in Abaji. Or at least if, if you're a rebuilding team and you're and you're talking about in the lottery. Like he kind of reminds me of Quentin Grimes. Uh, and Grimes was, you know, he's going to come off, I think, eventually as a steal for the Knicks, even though he offers no creation. He's just a pretty much catch-and-shoot guy, yep. make good decisions and defend your position. And that's kind of how I see Abaji. And, um, like a guy like Quentin Grimes or Abaji, I think can help a team like Cleveland right away. Uh, and they'll be useful from day one. But are they going to get much better, you know, in years three and four? They're probably going to be close to the same player they are as a, as a, as a, friend, as a rookie. Um, but again, that, that rookie is useful. And so um, I think if you're, you know, a team like the Thunder, you know, you probably want somebody with a little more upside, a little more creation to his game. Yeah. Um, but if you're a team like Cleveland, and again, I know they want more creators, but Abaji could probably help them right away, give them 15, 20 minutes a game just as a catch-and-shoot guy, stretch the floor, get you easy baskets. He was, uh, he's a fantastic finisher. Um, and he's just one of those guys who's not going to make many mistakes, right? Like a bad game from Abaji won't kill you. 
And even if it's not a very productive game, he kind of helps with the space he creates. And, and you hope that the wingspan athleticism translates to adequate defense, which it did at Kansas. And there's no reason why I think he can't translate um, as a as a rookie and, and an NBA player. Is he the best shooter in the draft or is that going too far? That's going too far. I think he's too streaky. Um, okay. He's he's a, a a big time shot maker. And he's one of those guys who when he's hot, he could probably hit seven threes in a game. But yeah. there's probably going to be too many, you know, one for fives and two for sevens from from Abaji. Uh, I, I like him more, maybe a little bit as like, you know, a guy when your team's down, you bring him off the bench, um, and hopefully he catches fire. But in terms of consistency, I mean, AJ Griffin from Duke. I don't know how you argue against him. He probably had the best freshman shooting season I can remember, both in terms of just accuracy, but also shot making versatility, off pull ups, off screens, that type of thing. A.J. Griffin has a bit of an injury history, and there are questions about defense. A lot of people are pulling up clips about his, uh, let's say, less than uh, stellar defense. Um, mm-hmm. Jonathan, is there any way he falls out of the top 10, or do you think he's a top 10 lock still because of the shooting? Um, I, I never like to use the word lock in today's world, but <laughs> <laughs> with basketball or anything else related. Right. But, but um, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine 10 teams passing up an 18-year-old who's 6'6", 222 with a 7-foot wingspan, who's this good of a shooter. I mean, if this is his floor. His floor is valuable right away. But given his age, I mean, he's not going to turn 19, I think, till November. Like, there's just so much more for him to add to his game. Also, you know, he gets very high grades off the floor in terms of his character and somebody you kind of bet on maximizing his potential. Um, but, yeah, there are some there are some question marks of whether he can maximize his potential. He's not a great athlete. You know, he's more of an east-west guy in terms of creating. doesn't really get to the basket much, low free throw rate. And, yeah, the defense, he kind of wished it was better for a guy who had his physical tools. And so, yeah, maybe there are some questions that he's mostly just a spot-up guy, um, you know, a catch-and-shoot or one-dribble pull-up guy. Um, but uh, I, th- I think in today's world, you're, you're going you're gonna to value his shooting so much, and then that room to improve, somebody's going to want to gamble on, on his ability to get better and, and add a little more creation to his game. We've got less than a month before the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, somebody who continues um, to, to capture people's attention. He was a bit of an unknown coming to – uh, the G League Ignite, he wasn't as um, acclaimed as, as some of the other G League Ignite guys. But all I keep hearing from from people around the NBA and with the Cavs is Dyson Daniels, Dyson Daniels, Dyson Daniels. Um, obviously, you say never say never, and you don't want to talk about locks or anything along those lines. But it seems to me, just my view of this situation, Jonathan, is that Daniels is probably not going to be there at 14 for the Cavs. Is that fair? Yeah, I go back on my word. He's a lock to, to go top 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty I feel pretty confident at this point. I got a text the other day from a scout who, who just basically said Daniels is going really early. And by really early, I think he's suddenly in that number five, six range. Wow. Uh, so um, people are just really fascinated by, uh, well, A, the fact that he measured 6'8" are close to six, eight in shoes. Right. And, and he's really, I mean, he played a lot of point guard for Ignite. Um, but I think he's also somebody you could use at the two, three, four with that size and, and throw in, you know, playmaking the defensive versatility. He, he's a good post player. He's got a lot of touch 
you know, around the key and, and one of those guys who kind of just improvises. He's not really like a go-to scorer, but he finds ways to put the ball in the basket. And then also a guy who just turned 19 years old and and somebody who's crushing interviews. And um, it's just like, you know, your imagination is is limitless and what type of player he could be. And he's got no label, no position. He, he's just an easy plug-and-play guy uh, anywhere you want. And, and I think um, – team's imaginations are going to run with him and, and uh, he's going to go pretty early in this draft. I, I'd really be surprised, honestly, if he gets past, you know, the Pelicans at number eight. Mm. Do you believe in his shot? Uh, I do, at least in terms of shot making. Like, it kind of reminds me of Marcus Smart. Like, is he going to be a shooter? No, but can he be a shot maker and have games where he, you know, rattles off three, four threes? Yeah, he can. And he did it in G League. And he, he created a lot of optimism during his pro day in LA on Saturday. And, you know, I, I've watched him before he got to ignite. I've watched him in FIBA. I've watched him in Australian tournaments. He never had great percentages, but he had those games where he, you know, hit multiple threes. And so um, even if he's not a 40% three point shooter, I still think he could be, his jump shot could hold value to him um, and give him some scoring firepower. And, and his given it again, his age, his, his reported work ethic, like he, he's somebody you bet on to, to become a 35% three point guy. How did it happen for him so quick? You know, like I said, the other guys with G League Ignite were the ones that so many people were talking about coming into this year. And then all of a sudden, it looks like he's the one out of everybody that's going to go higher than the other guys. Yeah, I mean, his last 10 or so games, he really caught fire from three. So that created more optimism about his shot. Mm. Um and and some of the other, you know, the other guys are just, uh, I'm just going to be frank, they're not that likable. At least, you know, I'm talking about Jaden Hardy. A lot of teams are just turned off by his particular game, and Hardy came in as viewed as a top five guy. And, right. and then we find out, okay, he's not really a playmaker. He takes some bad shots. He's much he's much of a, a weaker athlete than kind of the perception was coming in. And one of those guys, like, where if he does have a bad game, he probably hurts your team because he doesn't add anything else. Daniels is a guy who, you know, we saw his impact, like, you know, he, he didn't have to put up points for him to to leave his his footprint uh, or fingerprints on a game. Yeah. And versatility is just in. Like, that's what teams are looking for when there's no stars on the board. And, and again, I don't think anybody's seeing an all-star with him, but maybe like a star role player. Kind of like, you know, your Marcus Smart or, or Ty Halliburton um, is a name I've heard recently. So uh, I also think as, as we go along throughout the season um, – you know, you're starting to look for new guys. Like sometimes your your mind just kind of gravitates towards new ideas. And I think even in my mind, like Daniels, I didn't have top 10 to start the season. In fact, probably a month or two ago, I still had him as more of a mid first round guy, teens, early 20s. But you kind of talk yourself into him a little bit. And sometimes that's a little scary, maybe logically not the right thing to do. But I've just kind of started to picture a different player. Like my fear with Daniels was like, well, he's not really good at any one thing. Right. Um, but maybe I've been overthinking that. And that's kind of what I've been the way I've been seeing it. I've been overthinking the fact that he doesn't have one signature skill and maybe he's just really good at a lot of different things. And maybe that doesn't translate to all star games. But I do think it translates to an easy fit impact. And then when you take into account his age and again, his character, he's just somebody to bet on. I remember he lit up the Cleveland charge in one of the G League games that you were talking about down the stretch. And I remember a few days after that, I was on the court. Can't remember exactly what city we were in when we were covering the Cavs. But I was on the court before pregame and, and talking to one of the Cavs execs. 
and he brought up Daniels lighting up the Cleveland charge, and he told me to put him on my radar at number 14. And that Mm -hmm. was at the time that, like you said, Daniels in mock drafts and stuff like that was a 20 to 25. And I said, "Eh, I don't know, that might be a little bit early. (laughs) And now we're talking about potentially going in the top five. That's unbelievable. I also think that I think most scouts only went to G League once. So, (laughs) I mean, they they have – yeah, they have little in-person scouting experience of him, and certainly like none coming into the season. So then, when you see him up close in Chicago, and you see him, you know, I think he was with the running with guards, and he's just, you know, just the eye test. Like, there's a difference when you scout live versus on tape. Even though I do think scouting on tape has become more common and and also uh, effective, but when you see him up close with other guys at his position or perceived position, I mean, he just really stood out. And then when you see him shoot the ball. You start, you stop, start forgetting about the numbers. You know, like I, I always say, and, and I do it too. Just as a writer, we use numbers to say how good of a shooter a guy is. Yes. But like Zaire Williams went ten last year, and he shot like twenty-seven percent. Like teams don't put that much stock into the percentages of a thirty-game sample size at eighteen years old. Just like look at the eye test, look at the made jumpers over the missed jumpers, uh, and just kind of think three, four years down the line. And and so I think that's what teams started to do with Daniels. All right, so another one that that I've heard kicked around when it comes to the Cavs, uh, different kind of player than some of the guys that we've been talking about. But what can you tell me about LSU's Tari Eason? Um, obviously, he started his career at Cincinnati, finished um, at LSU. He's a guy who seems like the archetype that that teams in the NBA are looking for. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll bet he was off my radar last year, and and he quickly kind of jumped on it this year. Um, the, with the advanced stats, you know, a, a huge box plus minus guy. Yeah. And uh, again, we'll go back to the theme of versatility. You could put him at multiple positions offensively. He can guard multiple positions defensively. Um, you know, I love one of the advanced stats I love is steal and block rates because I think that just shows athleticism and, and activity and anticipation. And I think he's like one of five guys have over a 4% steal rate and 6% block rate. And I think five guys like ever, or at least, you know, since they've been recording on sports reference, I think since 2009. And so you just love the activity level. He's super tough. Um, And he's a guy who had, I think 20 uh, buckets as a transition ball handler. So I'm I'm personally into grab and go guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then facing up in the half court, you know, at his size, he's six, eight, seven, two wingspan. He kind of has a wings ability to attack, closeouts and face up and beat guys but he also has that power and strength and toughness to score around the basket so i think he does a lot of different things and also a guy who you know just put him in there and you don't have to run many plays for him he's going to find a way to produce and get you baskets and and make an impact and so i think he's again an easy fit um and and the type of guy with that toughness that every at least coach is really going to admire 14 about his right range yeah i think that's about his range and i've heard i've heard um from scouts like you know late first round to late lottery you know he's got kind of a wide range but i in my mind i think once you start seeing like the sexier score names off the board like matherin um and johnny davis and stuff like one team is going to say all right give me tari like i just i know what i'm getting with him um i i know you know what that is i'm getting is going to help my particular group he's a safe pick um and so i do think that that cleveland right around there at 14 that's that's a very close range that's what I was going to ask you, Jonathan. There are so many guys that that um, you would say they're offensive-minded, right? And, and with Tari, 
it's it's the opposite. It seems like the opposite. It seems like defensive minded. That's that's his calling card. How far away do you believe the the offense is with him, especially when it comes to that outside shot? Yeah, the outside shot's going to be a huge swing skill for his for his offensive trajectory. And and he's listen, he's a he's a good he's a capable shot maker. Um, mm-hmm. Is he going to be a shooter? Probably not. But I think he just has to complement his you know face up game and inside game enough. Um, just has to be threatening enough on cats and shoots. And you know it's it's really kind of a guessing game with him. Um, but I think again he's capable enough right now to to bet on him adding value as, as a spot up guy, a stretch guy. Uh, but again, I think his real value is going to be attacking in transition, beating guys off the dribble from, from spot ups and attacking closeouts. And then just being, you know, a madman around the basket. He's a huge finisher. Um, and, and just, you know, again, making plays without having plays run for him. That's really going to be his bread and butter. How into comparisons are you, Jonathan? Um, I'm into him. I also acknowledge that no matter what comparison you use, somebody's going to be going to give you shit for it. So, <laughs> I mean, like there's no obviously no perfect comparison. I do think it's a useful tool, and and I know that there are teams out there and, and executives who have their scouts say for every player I want a comparison, and it's not, you know, it, it's not so much as a game. It's just to kind of help you better picture that player. And there's right. also also like there's a big difference between like. You know, when we compared Trey Young to like Steph Curry, even though Trey Young turned out to be great, it's like, yeah, yeah we can compare him to Steph Curry. Is he the next Steph Curry? No, it's, there's a difference between is he the next Steph Curry or does he play like Steph Curry, right? So that's also something that I think that needs to be um, established when you make these comparisons. But I like him. I mean, if you're going to give me somebody off, like drop a name and I have to come up with a comparison off the top of my head, like sometimes it, I like overthink it and I, and I need time, but. I think it's a useful tool to to just help you picture what type of guy that he's going to be in the NBA. I was going to say, do you have some ready to go already? Um, I, you know what, I do. Like, okay. like, all right, let's see. Uh, give me one. I'll let you know what I got. Abaji. Abaji is yeah. Quentin Grimes to me is is the is the guy. You know, a name that I've heard recently, just from talking. I don't talk to the same people that you do, but in talking to people around the league, I've heard Jake Crowder with a Baji. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> that, was, that was a lukewarm response. I, I have to process like, you know, so this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, we can nitpick like Crowder is obviously a lot stronger, right? A lot yeah. more physical defensively. I mean, yeah. I'm nitpicking here, but like, yeah, are they the same type of, you know, three and D guys, like, are they going to have the same role in the NBA? Yeah. And, and, and go back to Grimes, like, Abazi is a lot better around the basket and a lot better athlete. I, I, in terms of their roles, they're going to be a catch and shoot guy and they're going to be a, you know, transition finish guy who doesn't really make too many decisions outside of just catch and shoot, catch and finish and defend your position. So, yeah, that's, it, you know, you're going to find something different with everyone. And I just did it with you with Growler, but right. yeah, same, same type of guy. Malachi Branham and tell me why it's not Chris Middleton. That's all I see when I watch Branham. Yeah, no, it's, it's Middleton. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is Middleton. I don't know. It's it's crazy how much he looks alike. I was talking to a scout the other day who honestly, I, I'm afraid to even use the Middleton because they're both number 22 and that kind of plays tricks on your mind. But they really do have similar movement skills and and the mid range game and and a guy who plays on and off the ball. Like, you know, I guess Middleton's a little bit bigger. But in terms of their style of play um, and their role, it's it's hard not to see Middleton with Brandon. How about Eason? Do you have one for Eason? 
Yeah, Brandon Clark. Um, okay. Brandon, you know, I'd say there's two guys I go back and forth between, but Brandon Clark, depending on how much he, you know, improves or doesn't improve on the ball, you know, Clark, I guess, is more of like has the energizer label. And that's kind of what Easton is right now. But if he improves a little bit more, Patrick Williams from the Bulls mm-hmm. is a combo forward who I could see is, you know, that, that bigger forward who does have some wing skills. So a name that we haven't touched on yet, because I keep getting the sense that he's probably not going to be there at 14, but but maybe he falls. What about Jeremy Sohan? What do you think mm-hmm. about him? And and what kind of player is is somebody getting with him? Yeah, Sohan could be there. I mean, he's right in that range. Okay. Um, he, de- he definitely has a lot of fans. I think to take him, you really have to take him that high in the lottery. You really have to to like be willing to gamble on his development. And and he's young, but right now the idea of him is more appealing than than the production or numbers. Or it's hard to imagine him being a productive player as a as a fr- as a rookie. Um, but again, the idea of him is so appealing as a. 6'9", 230-pound forward, center. I don't think he needs a label. He could play any of those positions. He yeah. really is probably, I mean, we, we it's a cliche to say he can guard all, every position on the floor, but, like, he can't. Like, I, we've seen him do it, he, I mean, at least in college. And with his tools, he don't. there's no reason why against certain teams he can't guard fives um, and, certain, and move his feet around the perimeter and switch and actually be a guy who you can stick on two guards and say, go give him a problem throughout the game. Offensively, right now, to me, he's pretty much just a cutter, a finisher, um, and a ball mover. He can make good passes. It's hard to imagine him being a, a you know plus thirty percent three point shooter right now, um, or offering much creation. But he's young, and you know, again, it's kind of a gamble on his offensive development. But in terms of versatility, he checks a ton of boxes. If everything goes right, if everything doesn't go right. You pretty much have yourself just a a very versatile, unique defender. I I think in my mind the best case scenario with him I've I've compared him to Nick Batum. Batum is like you know a six nine, um, small forward, but he can run some pick and roll. He can play off the ball. You know if if he eventually becomes a capable shooter and he defends every position. So like that's the type of guy I see him if he does hit his stride. All I keep thinking in in the lottery is that if if there's a match made in heaven. It's probably Jang and the Oklahoma City Thunder at number 12. Yeah. He just seems like the most Oklahoma City player, the kind of gamble that they'd be willing to take. Um, is he a lottery guy? Do you think that? You know what? I've heard I've heard both ways. He's uh, To me, he's too far away to take in the lottery. But if you're the, like a team like the Thunder, like you said, who, you know, who takes teams, who takes guys like Poku and they have no pressure to do anything right away. Um, and they can give him minutes and let him play through mistakes. Um, and, and again, no pressure to, to see results right now. Yeah, I, I could see why he's attractive. But um, man, he's so far away to me that I, if it was, if I'm drafting, I'd let somebody else take the gamble. Um, but yeah, sure, there's upside. And again, it's more of the idea with Jang. Like he's a six mm-hmm. nine, six ten guard. He's never really shot well from three, you know, overseas or in, uh, I mean, in Europe or in uh, in um, the NBL and just like creating for himself right now, you know, he can do it, but he's not great at it. He's so thin. He's not a great athlete, but again, the idea of him is appealing and he got a lot better over the second half of the season this year. So, you know, I could see why you'd want to bet on him continuing to get better, but I mean, you should also see my standpoint where like a lot has to go right for him to really maximize his potential. Is Nikola Jovic in the same 
category? I don't think so. Way outside yeah, I, mean, I, I think he's outside the lottery. I just heard I just heard um, from a workout some somebody who's projected to go like in the mid to late first round just destroyed him in the workout. And uh, I, I think, you know, he's uh, I could say, again, I, I, the, the appeal to him is, a, you know, the idea is the six, a 610 wing. Yeah. Um, but is it going to translate the NBA level? Uh, he's just not very quick in terms of getting his moves off defensively. He's going to be a huge liability. Uh, somebody I'd let, you know, again, I'd, I'd let another team take him. Um, but, yeah, he's been extremely productive overseas and FIBA. Um, but I just I have a hard time picturing it translating at the NBA level. To me, I'd, I'd much rather have him as like an early second round pick than somebody I'd reach on in the first. You know, somebody else that created a lot of buzz in Chicago last week was Jalen Williams. Could he get into the lottery? He could. He definitely wow. could. Um, he's like he's one of those guys where if you're going to if there's going to be a surprise pick like Primo going 12, like yeah. if somebody took Jalen Williams you know, if the Knicks took Jalen Williams at 11, like it wouldn't be that surprising. He's going to he's going to really help himself during this pre-draft process, um, particularly during interviews. Um, but again, he's he's just another guy like there's not many holes in his game. You know, the only hole in his game is athleticism. And I think I think today, like I, we overestimate the importance of, of athleticism. And I think skill and IQ and versatility is just more important today unless that athleticism is really going to prevent you from getting shots off or finishing. And he was like shot like 70% in two of those scrimmages uh, last week. Teams were excited to see him play. I mean, he was one of those guys who had so much buzz that you'd figured he wouldn't even play, but he played anyway and he delivered. Um, And just another easy fit. Does he have star upside and does he, does he have that star power? No, but he's, if we're talking about late lottery, like you're, you have to have in mind that you're probably not getting a star there anyway. Just, you just want a good quality role player who could give you minutes early and fit in any lineup and, and create that flexibility for you to continue rebuilding. And I think Williams does that. I think we could play Williams at the one, two or three on or off the ball. Um, and so just an easy fit, likable kid. So going through this, if, if I told you that the Cavs were prioritizing two-way wings and playmaking this entire offseason, whether mm-hmm. it's the draft, trade possibilities, or even free agency, and, and of the guys that we've talked about, the one that you see as most realistic for them at 14, given those parameters, is who? <laughs> I mean, honestly, Jalen Williams isn't a bad answer. I mean, if we're talking mm-hmm. about checking checking all the boxes you just mentioned. And, yeah, he's had some rough defensive stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, man, the 7-2 wingspan at 6-6, six, six, like the tools are there if he's coached right. And, yeah. again, he's got the right mindset to, to be a good defender or to at least become coachable and improve there. And so if we're just looking at the boxes Cleveland wants checked, Jalen Williams is a is a pretty good answer. I mean, I, I know we were just talking about him, but like maybe he's a reach there. But again, at 14, uh-huh. like what's the difference between 14 and taking him at 25? I mean, there's not much right. difference. So uh, Williams is uh, on brand. I mean, that's that's pretty much the guy you're talking about to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I also think Ty Ty Washington's a good player. I mean, okay. He's not more. He's more of a ball handler than a wing. We just haven't really touched on him yet. And if you're looking for creation, a backup point guard, I think he's a better defender than he was. You know, than anybody really. We didn't really talk about his defense much, but he played really hard defensively, fighting through screens and stuff. And so, I, I think he's becoming a little bit undervalued. Mm-hmm. I, I, I talked to a GM in in Chicago who was disappointed that he didn't play, which makes me think that 
some teams have him much lower, like as a fringe first round guy. But I yeah. think if we're talking about that, that he's being too far undervalued. And somebody, uh, I do think Cleveland should at least consider it 14. Jonathan, why in general does that keep happening with Kentucky guys? Um, I mean, they you could talk about the system, about you know, they, they don't have a ton of freedom to create themselves. And so sometimes that creativity goes masked, like, you know, Maxi and, and Hero, and they play within, you know, they do what they're supposed to do, and they don't go outside their box. And uh, you know, Kentucky typically has five guys on the floor who are four or five star recruits. And so it's only natural that there are going to be stretches in games where you just don't have that rhythm um, to, to make things happen. And um, that's just, you know, the only way to really kind of explain it or, or how else, you know, I, I don't have any other real answer for you um, except that maybe just that being surrounded by a lot of good players in a system where nobody stands out as like a featured guy, it could be a different guy every game. And it just naturally happens where you go quiet and some of your skill set can be masked. In talking to people around the NBA, Jonathan, is that a talking point? Do people around the NBA that are these decision makers look at that and say, well, hold on, like Hero, Devin Booker, Tyrese Maxey, Washington can be the next guy. Like, is that a common talking point that that Kentucky guys are probably going to be better than than what they look in college? Yeah, it is, but it keeps happening. <laughs> like everybody, like we can go right. You go back to Booker, to Hero, um, and, and Maxi, like uh, you know, quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, this is a, a common theme that everybody talks about. Yet nobody, but people continue. Teams continue to let them slide. So I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Um, but but yes, it, it it certainly it's people are aware of it, but it, it hasn't stopped them from uh, allowing them to to slide down later into the teens or twenties. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, Jonathan. Last year's draft is going to go down as maybe one of the more memorable in, in recent memory. And a lot of people are wondering, can it go down as one of the best of all time? Three to five years from now, when we're talking about the 2022 NBA draft class, what do you think the common refrain is going to be? Wow. Tough call. I mean, I really feel good about the top three bigs in this class. Okay. Um, and I think that's going to be the theme. I mean, I don't know how often the first three picks all play the same position. Yep. So I think that's pretty rare. And, you know, they're all so clumped together. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, who emerges as the guy. And um, you really you ask around the league and there you get different answers at number one. Um, it does sound like Jabari Smith is going to be the first pick. Uh, it does sound like Chet's going to go two, and Paolo is somehow going to slip to three. To me, Paolo is the number one player in the vacuum. I think that's what we're going to be talking about is is how how these th- three bigs play out, and then and then Jay Nivey I think is another one. Is I think he's the next guy with the star potential. Is he going to be the next John Morant, or is he just going to be more of a um, you know an athletic specialist? You know, yeah. is the skill going to catch up? And and then you move down the board, and there's a lot of there's a lot of hit or miss guys. You know, is Keegan Murray going to be a just a good role player or is he going to be a star caliber player? Um, Johnny Davis, is he going to be like a Josh Hart or is he going to be like a Jimmy Butler? I mean, it, it's tough. It, it's, you know, even myself who has been watching these guys for years and, and is supposed to have this expertise and telling you how they're going to be. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly <laughs> with any confidence what uh, the outcome is going to be for Johnny Davis, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting names there and, 
Um, you know, Jalen Duran, who came in as such a high profile guy, like to me, he could easily be a backup center for the rest of his career, or he could be, um, you know, he, there's so many out Derek favors. He could be, he could be right. a Deandre Jordan defensive player of the year type. I mean, there's just so many different out potential outcomes for a lot of these guys. And, and it's tough to say, but I think the theme of this draft really is the top three, uh, top three picks all playing the same position and everybody having different opinions on them and, and to see how that's going to play out. It's really going to be interesting. Jonathan, as somebody who's been doing this draft thing for quite a while, um, the Cavs have been building their their core through the draft. Darius Garland, they traded for Jared Allen, drafting Evan Mobley. They've got Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what is your view of, of the Cavs' future and what they're building here? I'm a fan. And listen, I've been pretty critical of them in the past. And they, man, that Mobley pick was... Um, you know, a difference maker for the next couple of years for the, for the whole team's trajectory. I mean, I really think he's a special prospect that they got there. Um, and Garland, listen, I, I had Garland at nine on my board. So to see him be this good um, is, is huge, obviously, for the team. I think uh, I, I'm, I'm very and you know better than me in terms of like what Colin Sexton's value is. And I know ah. the kind of, the narrative has kind of changed. Like, is he a plus I think he's become a plus, although it seems like a roller coaster with the narrative is on Sexton. I think that's also going to be huge. Like if he really is a plus for this team. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously Jared Allen's really good. And again, yeah, this, this, I think this team has the chance to be a, an actual, you know, Eastern conference finals type of team. I, I really do. Yeah. But a lot's going to depend on, I think Okoro offensively has to make some steps forward. Uh, but he also just such a, I, I kind of mentioned this type of guy before earlier in the podcast, but like one of those guys, like a bad game from Okoro probably doesn't help you because he does so many other things. Um, so there's a couple guys who I still want to see how their development plays out, but they have, the, I mean, they have the pieces, yeah. the, the youth and the room to grow to be one of the better teams in the East. I really think that. I'll say this, Jonathan, Colin Sexton is the most complicated case. And he's <laughs> the most polarizing player. Yeah. that I have ever covered in the NBA. Right. Like Cavs, either Cavs fans absolutely love him because of the scoring and they recognize that the Cavs don't have enough bucket getters or they're just myriad questions. Hey, is he a six man? Is he a starter? Can he defend his own position? Mm-hmm. Does his style translate to winning? What does it say that the Cavs went 44 and 38 the year that Colin Sexton only played 11 games? <laughs> Can he play next to Darius Garland or not play next to Darius Garland? Like at this point, I don't think the Cavs even know how to how to monetize his value. And and they're going into contract negotiations this offseason. I don't think the NBA knows what his right. true value is. It is right. very, very difficult to pinpoint. And it's funny because, you know, so the Cavs are obviously, you know, they've been in the lottery a lot. So I'm always talking about when we get closer team needs and like literally every week I could be like, well, the Cavs need a two guard, but maybe the, like, next week, you know, sex, they have Sexton, so they don't need a two guard. And the next week it's like, well, maybe the Cavs need a two guard. And I go back <laughs> and forth. Uh, it, it's it's hard to say whether right, he's the answer for them right? Or, or, or how is he best optimized and used for the team? And is he better off as trade bait? And do you sign him to a long-term deal? Is he the sixth man? It's, it's, it's right. tough to pin down what his best use is. And now they're to a point, Jonathan, where they've got to put a salary attached to what yeah. he actually brings to the table. And right. that gets really complicated. 
Yeah, no, so, I, don't, I have no, no clue what he's going, what his contract's going to look like. Yeah, uh, I mean, it could be around twenty million. It could be the qualifying offer that he has to take and then just risk it and go into unrestricted free agency next year. It could be like fifteen to eighteen million annually. <laughs> I don't know, all over the board. But yeah. but the thing is, like one thing that I keep going back to, Jonathan, and you know this, talking to so many people around the NBA. There are certain um, organizations that are just not comfortable with an undersized shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Like ev- every organization has these different things that they're attracted to. And, and, and you jokingly mentioned, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder and they're willing to take these thin, wiry, tall guys. But, you know, Orlando is, is built the same kind of way where length and athleticism seems to win the day for them. Yeah, every team around the NBA has these certain things that they're either fans of or they could be, quote unquote, deal breakers. And I just don't know how many people are going to be that excited about uh, a non-traditional shooting guard with that kind of size. Yeah, I mean, listen, it kind of it reminds me, I mean, obviously, Zach Levine's a little bit different in terms of size, but mm-hmm. also as a guy who is perceived as a negative defender, high usage score. Right. Who produces but might not make your team better. But suddenly kind of Levine has kind of changed the narrative a little bit. And I think he's kind of viewed now as like, you know, a, a, would be a huge free agent get for a lot of teams. And, and Sexton is still a 20 point score. Um, and yeah, maybe he's, a, you know, not the plus defender, but neither is Levine. And Levine's managed to, I think, again, change the narrative on, on what his value really is. And maybe Sexton can do it as a 6-2 shooting guard. But um, yeah, every team values different things. And yeah. so there are some teams who could probably have no interest in Sexton and some teams who are like, wow, we could really use a guy who could just get you 20 plus every night. So wrapping this up, the Cavs also have two second round picks. I'm told that the the first second round pick is probably a 50-50 proposition because of the roster crunch that they have and whether they actually have room for mm-hmm. somebody with the 39th pick. Yeah. Um, but but what kind of player, Jonathan, could they get if they if they stay at 39 use that pick and bring somebody else on. There's going to be a good player there. I mean, I, I, okay. there's absolutely going to be options for them um, and, and guys who can come in and crack the rotation right away or, or, or be steals. And, and I can name off 15 of them. You know, I don't know who exactly who's going to be there, who they're interested in, but right. there, there's a group of guys and it depends also what their strategy is. They could be like, okay, I'd rather have an older player like mm. Dale and Terry from Arizona, who's a, who's, um, you know, a six, seven, not a star, but, but again, somebody who you could just picture coming in and, and making an impact as a passer, like a Herb Jones type, right? Like, okay. you know, when New Orleans took Herb Jones, they didn't necessarily think he had star potential, but you could see how his particular strengths can, can help, can help a team, you know, like a, a veteran team is trying to make a push right now. So they can take a guy like Terry from Arizona, or they can swing for a little bit more upside and, and, you know, do a, a buy low play and the guy like Max Christie who came in as a potential lottery pick had a rough uh, freshman season, um, a big time recruit who just had a, who didn't shoot very well, but maybe you buy low and you find out that his shot is better than the numbers say. And, and you kind of, you buy low on an upside guy like Christie or Harrison Ingram from Stanford, who is, who's a freshman who, again, who didn't shoot very well, but maybe it was just a bad, you know, a bad cold slump um, of, of a short sample size at a young age. Um, so there's going to be guys like that on the board. J.D. Davison is another one. Davison mm. is came in as projected top 20 pick. He didn't shoot well. He's going to probably slip to the second round, but he's an awesome athlete for a ball handler. He actually put up very good passing numbers. 
Um, and so, again, uh, you could buy low on one of those guys, or you could take an older player. Leonard Miller, by the way, from, from Canada, is another guy who's probably going to mm-hmm. be right, right in that range, who comes off as an upside, a project upside guy, you know, first-round level talent doesn't necessarily have the production to go with it. So he comes off more as a, a risky play, but they can go with someone like that, or they could take a Christian Coloco from Arizona who mm. doesn't have a ton of upside, but somebody you could probably picture playing rookie minutes, just playing to his strengths as a finisher and shot blocker. So it really depends on their strategy, but there's, there's certainly going to be a lot of interesting options uh, in that range with their, with their first second round pick if they do keep it. He is the lead scout NBA draft analyst for Bleacher Report, Jonathan Wasserman. You can check out his stuff at Bleacher Report. You can also follow him on Twitter, NBA Draft Was. Jonathan, great information. This was fantastic. Really appreciate you making time for the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Yep, no problem, Chris. Appreciate you having me. Don't forget, you can sign up to be a subtext insider today. Um, Want to receive Cavs Insider Text and communicate directly with me? Sign up for a 14-day free trial with your phone number. Perhaps you can get one of your questions used in the next edition of Hey Chris. Also, you can communicate with me directly about the Cavs throughout the course of the offseason. What are they thinking with the 14th overall pick? Um, how likely are they to keep both second-round picks? Who are some uh, targets for them in free agency? and so much more. This is a critical offseason for the Cavs. They've got decisions to make on Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert and the direction that they want to go because the easy part has happened already. Um, Going from bad to respectable is easy in the NBA. Respectable to good, good to great, that's the tougher leap. So if you want to stay connected with me throughout the course of this critical offseason, sign up, become a subtext insider, My Cavs insiders receive texts from me. We communicate directly. It's a lot of fun. You can also sign up by texting me at 216-208-4499. Again, 216-208-4499. All right, thanks to all of you for listening today to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Hayden will be back with us probably next week, the week after, something along those lines. We'll continue to talk draft throughout the course of of the next few weeks as uh, it's June 23rd. The Cavs have the 14th pick, the 39th pick, and the 56th overall pick. So they've got some options. Um, They also have some trade capital if they want to go that direction. And we'll continue to follow it throughout the course of, of the next few weeks here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We'll talk next time. See ya.